0: Steve Lawrence, will God do it again? What about you, Marty? Think God will do it again? Do anything you need Him to do for you again. You think He... Amen. How many believe the promises of God? Do we still believe in God and the miracles of God? Do we still believe God answers prayers? Do we still believe that He'll do whatever it is He said He would do again? Amen. He'll do it. Just shout out, He'll do it. Amen. Well, I want to preach on the subject as we're in this series, Winning Your War. um, And we're kind of going verse by verse. And we're here in Judges. We've made it to Judges chapter 2. And I want to preach on the subject today, transferring the treasure to the next generation. Everybody say that when we say transferring the treasure to the next generation. You know... uh, we have a treasure inside of us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a treasure inside of us called the kingdom of God living inside of us, Jesus Christ. It's our duty and our job to pass that on to the next generation. And so I'd like to read from Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 23. And if you, uh, if you will, just pull out your Bibles in whatever form you have. Most people are on phones. Holly's uh, aunt that we stayed with a couple of days this week told us that her, out of their whole church, her and a couple other ladies are the only two people that bring an actual paper Bible to church anymore. Everybody reads on their phones anymore. and uh, I, uh, So if you have a paper Bible or if you have a, on their phone or however, I want you to stand for the reading of God's word, if you will. And, and I just want to see if we can catch the heart of God in this. But the Bible says the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So you have a generation of people that are serving God. They're living for God. They're they're going after God. And the Bible says here that Israel was serving God as long as they were alive. Verse 8, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land of his his inheritance in Timnah. Harry's in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now notice, let me stop right there. How can an entire generation grow up and not even know what God did? Unless the generation that died failed to? To share the good news of God. They failed to transfer the treasure inside of them to the next generation. Then the Israelites, because they didn't know God, they didn't know what he did. What did they do in verse 11? They did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him... And serve Baal and the Astroths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was not for them, rather against them, to defeat them, just as he sworn to them. They were in great distress. God allows things sometimes to happen in our lives to bring us back to him. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of their hands of these raiders. And we're going to study about a few of them in this series before we get done. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Verse 19, but when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated this covenant, I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord has allowed those nations to remain, and he did not drive them out once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're about to deposit in us. I thank you for what you're speaking to us today. I pray for the next few moments, God, you will arrest our attention. I pray let the seed of this word fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Speak to us the precious word of the Lord. God, anoint me to communicate, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. And God, we ask these things now in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have. And let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week. By your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray amen amen if you're high if you're comfortable high five somebody and say transfer the kingdom of god to the next generation yeah praise god the year was 1896 and an old man was traveling through the mojave desert not by his own cognizant uh, willpower but Just because he had found himself in a tough spot, he was thirsty. In fact, he was dying of thirst. And he saw a shack in the distance and got excited and found a little bit of glimmer of hope, thinking, if I can get to the shack, maybe I can find some water. He stumbled through the gate and into that old shack, only to see an old rusty pump. that didn't look like it had been used in years and years. He sat down, deflated, thinking, what am I going to do? And he looked in the corner, and there was a jug. He thought, well, let me just look in the jug and see what's in the jug. Maybe there's some water there. He dusted it off with his hands, and on the side of the jug was a note taped to it that said, you must prime this pump with all the water that is in the jug. P.S., be sure to fill the jug again before you leave for the next thirsty traveler. He popped the cork sure enough there was water in now it was hot and it was stale but he was thirsty and he had come to a decision do I follow the instructions of the note or do I drink what's left of this and see if I can make it reluctantly he took all the water and he dumped it into that pump he began to pump and pump and pump and nothing happened He began to walk away devastated, thinking at least I could have had some hot, stale water. And all of a sudden, he heard just a little dribble. He looked back to see just a little tiny trickle. And so he got the pump, and he pumped more. And all of a sudden, more water came flowing out. At first, it was rusty water, and then cool, fresh, clean water. He drank his fill. He followed the instructions. He poured the jug filled with water. And right before he put it back in the corner, he said, rope. Extra on the note. Believe me, it really works. Somebody had the foresight to say, there'll be somebody coming behind me that will need to have some fresh water in this desert. Somewhere along the way, our forefathers, maybe our parents, maybe grandparents, maybe great-great-grandparents, I don't know, down the line, had the foresight in many of our lives... To transfer the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. To transfer the kingdom of God to us. Many of us were raised in church. Many of us were brought up in church. Maybe half in, half out. But at least we got some kind of treasure passed into us. Some kind of knowing that there is a God and we can get to him through Jesus Christ. This... This little story has a message, and that is this, that we have a responsibility to do more than simply take care of ourselves. We have got to have an eye for the future. There are others who are going to follow in our footsteps. Other generations coming behind us, and when they get here, there's got to be something that we leave them. Now, when I preach this our minds are going to go to our own families, maybe our own children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. But I want to tell you that there's a generation of people in this area that do not know God and that God will send through these doors that will need to know, what do you have and is it real and is it relevant to my life? There's a generation of people that is going to come to Bridge of Hope Church, I assure you. And they're going to come by the droves to the point that the net's going to break. And they will have no upbringing with Christ. They will know nothing about the Bible. And it will be up to us to transfer the treasure of the gospel and the kingdom of God into those people's lives. Is anybody ready? Are you prepared for the people coming through the doors? Are you ready to disciple people that are going to come through these doors? If you are, say a good amen. Amen. My question is, what will they find? Will they find a treasure or some empty, hollow religious activity that doesn't do anything? We know the statistics now, 9-11 of 2001. We know the great tragedy to happen We know that shortly after that event, that churches were at an all-time high attendance. Only in a very short time to go lower than they were before. Why? Because people went to hollow, empty churches and found nothing for their lives. I want to tell you, I want people to come in here and experience the presence of God. And hear the word of God speak to them and have the Lord change their lives. Can I get a witness? Has anybody been, their life been changed by the Lord? Amen. Has the word changed you? Praise God. We need to pass on some treasures to the next generation if we're going to win our war. And that leads me to point number one, and that is this. The treasure, we need to pass on the treasure of the gospel. Sound teaching. We need to teach people the Bible again. There is so much fluff out there. If you just turn TBN on, you're going to be one confused individual. If you turn on Christian television and you watch one preacher after the other after the other, you won't even know what to believe anymore. I'm telling you, there's some stuff out there. You'll hear a lot of opinions. You'll hear a lot of stuff. But where is the teaching, the sound doctrine teaching of the Word of God? Do we still believe in teaching the Word? Someone say amen. I am compelled that every time I preach the word, I instill into you sound teaching or doctrine. That's what doctrine is it's sound teaching. Look what 2 Timothy 4 1 through 4 says. Paul, writing here to Timothy, says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Let me stop right there. Anytime you find in the Bible that someone says, I charge you in the name of the Lord. That's like when I do weddings. Hey, you're what? I charge you that the vows you're about to make, you keep till death do you part. I charge you is something like you better take notice because God's watching. Paul is writing, and this is the last chapter of the last book he will write before he ends his life. His, His life has ended for him. And so in 2 Timothy 4, he is charging Timothy listen, Timothy. This is the last thing I'm going to write on this earth before my head's coming off. And I charge you. I put you on notice before God. And you pay very close attention to what I'm going to say. So let's see what it is. Now that he's got our attention, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Don't preach your opinion. Don't preach what society thinks. Don't preach what the church down the road thinks is right. You preach the word of the living God. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's good stuff right there. He says be ready in season and out of season. You be ready to preach the word at all times to anybody. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great power. Patience and instruction. Did you see there? He tells us there are times that we've got to give people the word. That they may not like what they hear. It may contradict what their lifestyle is. But it is our job to preach the word. For the time, verse 3, will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's sound teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Man, is there not, are we not in that day? Are there not cults and different religions rising up? And I'm talking about in the name of Jesus Christ. There are churches out there that preach everything but Jesus Christ. And he died and shed his blood. They will never teach you the whole gospel. They'll teach you the parts that they like and agree with. But they will never give you what the whole gospel says. The word doctrine simply means teaching or instruction. So sound teaching, sound instruction. We live in a day. Where people take up any sprig that pops up and start movements with it, and start whole entire groups of people going in certain directions with it. But I'm here to tell you we've got to have a pure doctrine, a pure teaching, one that declares the whole gospel of God, one that, yes, we do hear the good stuff that we want to hear, that God will come through, that God is faithful, that the promises of God are true, that Jesus does love us. But we need to have the other side that says he's also holy expects us to live holy that he expects us to get sin out of our lives that he expects us to walk with him like he walks somebody say amen Amen. there's a balance to the Gospels there's a secret sensitive movement going across America that will not under any circumstances offend anybody no matter what they're the politically correct church their services are designed to be entertaining and structured Appealing to the unchurched, never offensive in any way. But here's the problem. The problem is the gospel is offensive. The gospel does get in your grill. When you read the Bible every day, I'm pretty sure there's something in there that says, hey, it checks you. Something in there that says you're not lining up. Something in there says, I need to make correction in my life. Am I the only one that does that? Am I the only one that reads and it's not always rosy and great? Sometimes there's some stuff in there that's like, hey, you better get it right, boy. (laughs) The gospel is going to and is supposed to stir things up. Listen, when the early apostles came along, they were run out of town. When Jesus cast... The devil's out of the one man and into the two thousand pigs, and they ran down the hillside and went into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. The people told Jesus, Get out of town. They ran him out. Anytime you find people that are really preaching the gospel of Jesus and the Bible, you'll find some people don't like it. Get out of here. We don't want to hear it. Paul was beaten. Stoned and left for dead. And it is this sound doctrine, this sound teaching of the Bible that does offend. And it is supposed to offend. And that that gospel we are supposed to pass on to the next generation. Listen, we got to get past the point of, well, I don't want to do anything that upsets anybody. I don't want to upset anybody either. But if the truth of the word upsets them, then that's between them and God. It is not our job to pick and choose what mail we deliver, but simply deliver the mail. Somebody say, "Amen." Sonny, how long were you a mailman? Forty years. Did you ever have anybody run out of the house, grab you by the shirt, and say, "If you deliver one more bill, I'm gonna knock you out"? Never. Did you? It didn't matter if it was that you won the sweepstakes or it was a bill. It didn't matter to you what the mail said. What was your job? Put it, in the box. Put it in the box. Deliver it. That's what our job is, folks. Our job is to tr- pass on the gospel and the good news and the word of God to the next generation. Or we're going to have a generation that not only knows, doesn't know God, they will, they, will, they will worship anything but God. Psalm 16 and 6 says this. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Somebody, raise your hand if you have a goodly heritage of somebody that passed down a heritage to you. Did you know the state of Washington right now? The state of Washington. Look, there's some crazy stuff that happens in the state of Washington. Just turn on the news. I mean, there's some stuff that goes down in Washington. Listen, they are now third generation pagan. That means... The grandparents did not go to church, don't read the Bible, know nothing about God. The parents do not go to church, know nothing about the Bible, know nothing about God. And now that generation doesn't go to church, knows nothing about God, wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And then we wonder why they are so way out there in outer space somewhere. It is because there is no heritage of God in their state. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 says it this way. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them, watch this, diligently to your children. You're going to pass on that treasure to the next generation. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Man, I'm telling you, there's got to be a transfer of truth from one generation to another if we're going to win our war. Joshua did great. The elders with Joshua did great. They served God. They went across to Jordan. They captured the land. But one thing they failed miserably with was that another generation arose who didn't have any idea who God was or want much to do with them. Moses passed on what he had to Joshua. Joshua didn't do that. I'm not beating up on him. I'm just saying, are we passing on the good news of the gospel and Jesus and the word of God to the next generation? Let me pose it another way. Who are you discipling right now? Who are you pouring into right now? When was the last time you prayed, God, put somebody in my life that I can disciple? When was the last time you pushed the plate back and fasted, not for something for your own self, but for something to say, God, send me somebody I can pour my life and the treasure of the gospel and me into them? When was the last time we said, God, give me some people that I can pour the treasure of the kingdom of God into you? Wow. 2 Timothy 1.5 says it this way. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Paul writing to Timothy here. He says, there's real faith in you. Watch this. And it came from somewhere. And he tells where it comes from. Which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that is in you as well. Wow. Paul says, Timothy... There's a wealth of heritage of serving God in you, and it started with your grandma, and it went to your mama, and now it's in you, and I'm going to pass on what I have to you, and you're going to pastor the world's biggest church at that time. He pastored the church in Ephesus, and many think that it was 100,000 people. Back in those days, that's mind-blowing. Listen, there was something deposited in him from Lois and from Eunice. And there's got to be something inside of us that goes from the next generation to the next generation to the next generation. And if we got children that are grown or grandchildren are grown, you say, Who and then? Pray that they walk in the door. Pray that somebody who needs somebody to disciple will walk in the door and sit next to you. And you say, Why don't we exchange phone numbers? And once a week, let's get together for coffee. Let's get together in a small group, I want to teach what I know about the Word into you. Would you like that? Man, we've got to raise up the next generation of believers. Somebody say amen. Amen. We've got to pass on genuine faith to the next descendants. I think about my mother passing down faith to us. Me and my brother and sister and our family. I think about Holly's parents passing down their faith to Holly and Shelly. I think about Holly and I passing our faith to our children. I think about Papaw, my wife's grandfather, who very much became my grandfather. I think about many times he was a wonderful preacher. He was a wonderful pastor. He was a wonderful, spirit-filled preacher of the gospel. And I remember before he died, he looked me in the eye and he said, Dallas. He said, I always wanted somebody to pass my mantle on to. But he said, my boys didn't go that route. And he said, none of my, my the, the grandkids really went that route. And he said, it's you. You married in the family. He said, my mantle goes to you, son. And I think, praise God. And I, it's funny because when one of Holly's family members come, they'll say, You're like a little Dorsey. That was his name, Dorsey Phillips. You're like a little papa up there preaching. Listen, I take, I t- I take joy in that. And one day I'm going to pass my mantle down to someone else. I want to tell you there's something powerful about that. And I'm thankful that Papa, before he hit the grave, was able to say, Hey, I've got somebody in my family that my mantle of anointing is going to go to. And he passed it on to me in holly. I want to tell you there's something powerful about that. There's something something exciting about that. Amen. Amen. Not only do we need to pass on the, the power of, of, of the sound doctrine and the teaching of the gospel, but we also need to... Pass on the treasure of a Pentecostal heritage. My blessed Lord, we are spirit-filled people. And I make no apologies for shouting. I make no apologies for running before the Lord. I make no apologies for dancing before God. I make no apologies for speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives me utterance. I make no apologies for being spirit-filled, nor will I ever. Why would I apologize for God and the Holy Spirit living inside of me, dwelling in me, working through me, speaking through me, praying through me, sometimes singing through me? Somebody say amen. Are you glad to be Pentecostal? Isn't it good to be spirit-filled? Yes. I don't want my children to grow up in an age that doesn't know the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want them to grow up in an age where they don't know what the Holy Spirit does. I know what it is to be in revival services, pastoring a church, and having revival. And there's going to come a time where we're going to go back to revivals. I remember the time where children were laid out across the stage. And they were laid flat on their back. And they were speaking in tongues completely out under the power of the Holy Ghost. I know what it is to stack them up like cordwood. I know what it is to see legs grow in a church service. I know what it is to see miracles happen because I've seen it. I've been a part of it and I don't want my children to grow up and not know what that's like. I don't want my children to think church is just some old dry, dusty thing you do on Sunday that you sing a few songs, hear a message and go home. No, I want my children to know what it is to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want them to know what it is to be healed by God Almighty and to see miracles happen and to feel the Holy Ghost working through them and begin to pray in the Spirit as He gives the utterance. I want my children to know what it is to be part of a church that's like the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit moves freely my blessed Lord I'm praying for a move of the Holy Ghost (laughs) pastor I don't know we kind of like it just calm and laid back and all that listen I'm praying wide open I want the gifts of the Spirit. I want the miracles of the Spirit. I want old-fashioned Pentecostal church where when we just sit in the presence of God where the power of the Holy Ghost moves and changes lives. I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. <laughs> I believe in the doctrine of the teaching of laying on of hands and seeing people healed. I believe in miracles today. I believe in changed lives today. And your pastor of Bridge of Hope Church is praying fervently God bring revival let a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit move let people walk in and say man I don't know about anything else but I know I met with God and I know I can't go home the same I didn't get a badge at an altar I got a heart transplant my heart is after God I want to see God turn people so upside down their whole family start coming and saying I don't know what's going on but I I need some of that. Pastor, you lost your mind. Yes, I have lost my mind. I don't want to be earthly minded. Pastor, don't you know this isn't really politically correct. I don't care what's politically correct. I want the kingdom of God to move afresh and anew. In Judges 2, you see here that Joshua and the elders, while they were still alive, they served God. But when they died, the people stopped. They failed to pass on that treasure to the next generation. It never went, watch, from their grandparents' faith to their parents' faith to their faith. Something's got to change. Somewhere, our children have got to make it their faith, their choice. We're raising a numb generation. Which are unacquainted with the manifestation of God's power and presence. I, see, I, I've seen God do too much to just be satisfied. Amen. I've seen kids lay hands on other kids and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've seen too many miracles with my own eyes. I've seen too much real stuff to ever want to go back and just settle. Our kids, listen, our church kids, I said this last week, I'll say it again. They used to sing the beautiful praise songs and they had praise songs flowing from their lips. And now all they know is Ariana Grande and the Kardashians and... Taylor Swift and Little Dirk and Kanye West and the list can go on and on. They know their names, they know their album titles, they know the songs and they know the lyrics by heart, but they don't even know the words to simple songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. We are raising up a generation of children that don't even know the praise songs to God anymore, but they know everything the world has to offer. I'm not trying to beat up, I'm just trying to share my heart and say, somewhere along the way, we us, have got to get down to neology again and say God, we need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. We need a real revival. And I don't mean four or five services in a row. I mean where the power of God comes in. And we see things that we walk away and say look what God did tonight. Yes. We're raising a generation of kids that think that Sodom and Gomorrah was a married couple. They have no idea who Luke and Mark and Paul and Timothy are. Worse, if they have heard of Jesus, they have no idea what he did for them. Or if they do that much, they have no idea how it's relevant to their life. And it's because our generation is dropping the ball. We are failing to pass on the treasure. And so they've accepted trash. Trash. No wonder many children don't want to go to church. They get in the car and many of the adults that are driving the cars don't want to be there. They complain and gripe all the way to church. And then get in the car and gripe all the way home and wonder then why their kids don't want to go. We've got to be an example to this next generation of what it means to have a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. And complaining and bitterness has to stop. No wonder our church... Kids don't want to give. Many adults in the church don't want to give. we got to show this next generation the importance of giving. Giving our time, giving our talents, giving of our resources. No wonder our children don't want to worship God the way he put in the book for them to be worshipped. Because they look around and see many of the adults in the church don't want to worship God the way he put in the book for them to be worshipped. We need to teach the next generation, this is how you worship in spirit and in truth. This is how you worship an almighty God. This is how he is pleased with your worship. Somebody say amen. Amen. No wonder our children don't want to witness. They never see that many adults witnessing at any time. We need to lead by example and show this next generation how to witness to a lost and dying world. No wonder our children won't sign up to work and serve for God in church. They look around and see many of the adults in church don't want to serve and work. If it's more than 10 minutes, it's inconvenient. I can't do it, pastor. We need to be an example to this generation to show them what it means to work for God, to serve God no matter how young or how old. Somebody say amen. Pastor, we ain't sure about all this kind of preaching. I don't I'm not here sharing my heart. I'm here sharing God's heart. A number of years ago a journalist was on a trip to India. He was walking with a Hindu priest named Satish Prasad. The man said he wanted to come, he's a Hindu priest, wanted to come to our country to work as a missionary among the Americans. The journalist assumed that he meant he wanted to convert Americans to the Hindu religion. But when asked, this is what a Hindu priest from India said about coming to America. Look at the quote on the LED screen. Satish Prasad said, oh no, I would like to convert them to the Christian religion. Christianity cannot survive in the abstract. It needs not membership, but believers." The people of your country may claim they believe in Christianity, but from what I read at this distance, Christianity is more accustomed than anything else. I would ask that either you accept the teachings of Jesus in your everyday life and in your affairs as a nation, or stop invoking His name as sanction for everything you do. I want to help save Christianity for the Christians. Many of you know Dr. Mark Retlin. He's a personal friend of mine and mentor. He told me that the last time he well, he's probably been there since then. But at the time, he told me the last time he was in Ghana, Africa. He said the pastors, the the, the pastor, the main pastor of the village in this one village in Ghana, Africa, pulled aside the children. There was two students, one or two. That had gotten scholarship to go into American universities and leave Africa and go over there. He said, I watched and I listened with my own ears and saw with my eyes the pastor pleading with these two kids. Please don't go to America. Here, everybody in the village is Christian, real Christian. Here, it's easy to live for Jesus. Everybody lives for Jesus. But you go there, nobody lives for Jesus. Jesus. You go there, you'll get tainted by American uh, you know, so, uh, society and by the universities. And before long, you won't even want to serve Jesus anymore. Please don't leave Africa and go to America or you might lose your Christianity. This is what... Didn't we used to send missionaries to Africa to win them to the Lord? And now they're saying to their kids, don't go to America. You'll get ice cold you won't serve God anymore. What is it that everyone else in the world can see about us that we somehow can't see about ourselves? We've got to get to a point where there's a fresh fire burning yet again. Where we get lost in the presence of God in our prayer closets and in the word of the living God. Is this okay to keep preaching this way? It's time for our kids to be tuned into God's word. Amen. It's time that they learn who Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Jesus are and let them begin to take on their character and their personalities. It's time they hear mom and dad pray again. Oh, hallelujah. It's time they see dad worship God with lifted hands, unashamedly with tears running down their face, dancing before God like David saying, I'll be even more undignified than this tomorrow. We need to see moms cry tears of joy at old-fashioned altars again, crying out to God. It's time that parents give again, work again, and serve again, and give God their best again so that the next generation will know that's what Christianity is. Folks, this generation doesn't know how to pray, give, serve, worship, work. They need us to teach them by example. It is time. There's a song that was written by uh, the guy who's a worship leader at, uh, at, at uh, Pensacola, Lindell, I think. I can't remember his name exactly. It escapes me. But here's some of the words. I wanted to just share this with you because I feel like it's fitting. It's time, he says, time for the dead and gone, time for the broken ones to live again. It's time, time for the dead to rise, time for the wings to fly, to live again. I can hear the calling. I can hear the sound of rain over the mountains and over the valleys. I hear the calling It's time. It's time for the dead to sing. Time for the walls to ring with the songs of freedom. It's time, time for the numb to feel. Time for the wounds to heal with the songs of freedom. It's time, time for the tide to turn. Time for our hearts to burn with desperation. It's time, time for a sacrifice. It's time we paid a price for our generation. Over the mountains and over the valleys I hear the calling. It's time. It's time for the dead to rise. It's time for the wings to fly. I hear the calling. It's time. It's time for the numb to feel. It's time for the wounds to heal. I hear the calling. It's time. It's time that we paid a price. It's time for a sacrifice. I hear the calling. It's time. Over the cities and all through the nations, I hear the calling. It's time. It's time for children to return home It's time for the prodigals to come back Somebody say amen It's time for the prodigals to come back I hear the calling, it's time It's time to break down the walls It's time to see them all fall down I hear the calling, it's time Over the cities and all through the nations I hear the calling, it's time It's time to break the walls Between the races, it's time to tear down Every wall that we have built up And I hear under the inspiration Of the Holy Spirit, Him beckoning to you and I. It's time. It's time we pray fervently. It's time we go after God. It's time we tear down walls. It's time we gather. It's time we come together in the name of Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth, and ask God to fill our hearts, our homes, and our churches again. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! It's time we pass on this treasure to the next generation. One young mother was cooking and she heard a loud bang in the other room and her 8-year-old came around the corner and said, "Hey mom, you know that vase that you passed down has been passed down from one generation to the next to the next to the next." She said, "Well, this generation just dropped it." <laughs> and I'm afraid that this generation has dropped it too many times. This is why you sign up to serve. This is why you give tithes and offerings. This is why you witness to the lost. This is why you worship without caring what anybody else thinks. This is why you go after God and you're all in because there's a generation watching us. I want to tell you, my mom taught me. I got to thinking about this. I got to thinking about when I was a child. And yes, my dad had... Did things a certain way, but my mom served God. And I got to thinking about my heritage and I got to thinking, you know, my mom taught me the value and how important prayer and Bible study was because after dinner, every single night, my dad would turn the ball game on, me and my brother watch the ball game or do whatever. My mom would leave the kitchen table, she would go to her bedroom, shut the door, and we all knew for the next couple of hours that was her prayer time and her Bible study time. And that's what she did. She filled herself and her heart with the power of God. She taught me the value of prayer and Bible study. She also taught me the, the, the importance of attending church. Because if we weren't out of town or somebody wasn't deathly sick, my mom was up going to church dragging us with her. My mom also taught me the importance of serving because all my childhood she taught a Sunday school class and she'd study all week and prepare and pray that it would be the best it could possibly be. She taught me the importance of giving because she always tithed and always gave. And if anybody had need, she'd take the shirt off her back and give it to them. I want to tell you, I'm thankful that I have a mama that taught me what it means to be a real Christian, that taught me what it means to go to church, to serve God, to give, to live for God, and to do what she could. Somebody say amen. Does anybody else have a mom like that? Praise God. And if you don't, you can be that person of somebody else. And finally, we need to pass on this is very quick and we're going to pray the treasure of commitment. Everybody say the treasure of commitment. First Kings eight sixty one 61 says, and may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God. Whew. To live by His decrees and obey His commands. As at this time, the church will never be more than just a place to go for some on Sundays. Because their commitment level is never what it needs to be. I hear the Lord challenging us, saying, why don't you recommit to prayer today? Let's recommit to generosity. Let's recommit to the harvest. Let's recommit to building relationships with one another and making strong ties and bonds together. Let's recommit to being the salt of the earth. Let's recommit to being the light of the world. Somebody say amen. Let's recommit to transferring the treasure to the next generation. May those who come behind us find us faithful. May they find us all in. May they find us fully committed. Like our forefathers that did everything they could to make our nation what it was. They were all in. Their neck, their, their lives were on the line. May we be all in for God. I'll close with this story and we're going to pray. Julius Caesar, when he was commissioned to take his unit into England to conquer it, got his men over there and realizing that there would be a desire for them to bail out if there were problems, he marched them to the cliffs of Dover and he made them look over the edge down towards the water and to their utter shock, every ship they had crossed on was burning. He had burnt every ship. His message was... Boys, we're all in. There's no going back. We either conquer or we die. Well, guess what? They conquered all. (laughs) They didn't have much choice. You know what God is saying? There's some ships that need to burn in here today. There's some motives that need to be checked today. There's some introspection that needs to happen There's a rekindling of prayer that needs to spark and rage in our lives.